This is Anya Leonard, founder of Classical Wisdom. You're listening to Classical Wisdom Speaks, a podcast dedicated to bringing ancient wisdom to modern minds. And I have with me today Alexander Barrientos, our senior editor. Today we'll be speaking about Stoicism. Is it helpful or is it harmful? But before we begin, a quick note to say thank you to our Classical Wisdom members who make this podcast possible. If you'd like to become a Classical Wisdom member and help support the classics, please go to classicalwisdom.com and click on Start. Now, on to today's podcast. In our Classical Wisdom mailbag, which we send out every Monday, uh, we've been bringing up the concepts of Stoicism. And recently, we had an article go out uh, called The False Promise of Stoicism. Uh, Perhaps we can begin, Alex, uh, if you can tell our listeners a little bit about this article and what the premise is. Yeah, so uh, Aaron Smith's point in that article, he he makes two main points. Uh, So one of them is the worry that Stoicism in its drive to lessen the suffering and pain in life mistakenly asks us or, or instructs us to lessen the amount of things that we put value on in this world. And so in that sense, Aaron thinks that it devalues the amount of happiness that we can actually attain in this life. The other worry that he puts forward is that it denies free will. And it's not so much that in itself um, Aaron finds that problematic, but that he finds that it conflicts with the other doctrine in Stoicism, uh, that we have this type of control over our mind and our attitudes. Aaron thinks that uh, this sets up a contradiction in Stoicism, because how can you put forward that we can control our emotions and, and control our reactions to things if there's no underlying free will? And so in a sense, with these two things combined, Stoicism is, in his view, a false promise in that it's something that can't reasonably be attained. And if it were, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't give us what we think it would. It wouldn't give us the type of happiness that it offers. Now, Stoicism has become much more popular over the last couple of years as maybe an antidote to the sort of chaos of modern life and expectations. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's gotten quite a large following. And I think at this particular moment, uh, and I can make a note that we are recording in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic to give context to uh, some of the thoughts and, and responses that, that stoicism maybe is, is playing a more important role for individuals. And um, I'd like to read out one of our reader mails uh, responses because it kind of touches on just the, the specifics of that article. Uh, this one comes from Mark. He says stoicism can be helpful. Uh, I've been interested in philosophy my whole adult life and graduated with a minor in philosophy, and I became interested in Stoicism after reading Taleb's Antifragile, which led me to read the originals, Seneca, Epictetus, uh, Marcus Aurelius. 
it has been helpful for me both to focus on what I can control and what I can't, to work on having greater physical endurance health. And as a psychologist, I also found Robertson, Donald Robertson's, how to think like a Roman emperor helpful, correlating principles of Marcus Aurelius' stoicism and cognitive behavior therapy. And also like existentialism, stoicism places a lot of emphasis on finding meaning in one's life. And this is the point that's it's more pertinent. I didn't find the article, The False Promise of Stoicism, particularly enlightening. enlightening. The author's focus on fate and determinism missed the point for me. Stoicism is a philosophy of individual self-improvement. As such, some freedom of will is assumed. Like Taoism, the point is to connect your individual will with nature and thus your fate. If everything was determined, what would be the point? Yeah, I mean, those are some good points, uh, especially, you know, I think the beginning of that response really gets at something important uh, and that most people, I think, feel when they come into contact with stoicism, that it has this uh, certainly practical value for everyday existence and our interactions with others. And I think he also has a point uh, possibly with uh, Aaron's article that maybe it is missing the mark, right? That we're not really so much concerned with, you know, this metaphysical side of stoicism and the possible contradictions of you know free will and determinism and all this uh because certainly the stoics seem to at least allow for some type of free will or otherwise they wouldn't be able to talk about the controlling of our emotions our attitudes reactions and insofar as they allow for that perhaps there's no problem at all in, in where, where Aaron seems to think there is one so yeah that's definitely a possible uh, response to that yeah but do you think i mean is it difficult if a philosophy is inconsistent. I mean, it's great if it's got practical points to it and we can live by it and we go, okay, yes, like here's some great techniques that will help our day-to-day -day life. But can those techniques have real value if the underlying principles of the philosophy aren't sound? So I, in, in, in many cases, yes. Although I think at the level at which stoicism might be unsound, namely this level, the free will determinist, issue it might not and i'm just you know answering on behalf of the, the the reader here perhaps it's not the type of problem that we should really be too concerned about because it it's just such a tricky problem in the first place right it's one of those i i mean i've rarely run into a philosopher who hasn't faced that issue and who has ever given some type of adequate account of something as tangly as free will and and the determined nature of the universe yeah that's not and, like a simple topic to try to, to deal with really. yeah for, yeah for me it seems to matter what the inconsistency is right so if let's say marcus aurelius tells us that we should wake up in the morning ready to meet uh with everyone you know all kinds of troubles and and uh, adversities in our daily life and we should be prepared for that but then in another passage says hey every day is going to be the best day of your life you don't have to worry about anything that would be a really big inconsistency for me. I'd be like, okay, well, there's some, there's an issue here in the two types of recommendations he's making. Whereas if the Stoics say, hey, look, the universe is determined by an unalterable, you know, destiny or fate, but then they say, look, the only thing we really have control over is our own thoughts. Maybe we can think about how difficult that might be and where, where those two statements can conflict. But it's not like the biggest overall, it's not a, um, an undermining or defeating inconsistency for the whole 
philosophy and its uh, practical sides. I think a, a lot of the response that we got from that article also uh, reflects the current mood or need or feeling of dedication to Stoicism. That yeah. Stoicism, as a you know useful ancient philosophy, has evolved into being something uh, deeply important and personal to people, akin to almost a religious. Uh, position and there was actually uh, another reader who who wrote about that. Um, some some people wrote like Alan that it's a it's a tool in his toolbox for surviving life in the best manner possible, and I think that's a very good point. But then another person wrote um, Peter. He said, "Like life, we can use it for good or for evil. For good, it is a helpful template, a tool that aids us in navigating the challenges we create." that form our chosen lives. It's a weapon to fend off or defeat the temptations, speed bumps, and roadblocks society use attacking virtuous living. For evil, it's harmful when worshiped as the only way of life. It becomes religion instead of religio. Ideology, bricks and mortar, instead of reflecting useful values. It is a weapon when used against those who do not believe. The first casualty is a responsible, is responsibility for I. Uh, and, and he goes on to say about the blind men stationed around an elephant as they're asked to touch and then describe and identify. Each response differs depending on where they are. Uh, and so I guess it's, it is an interesting point right now because I found a, a few people responding to this article in various different forums uh, quite defensive on it and, and defend almost antagonistically against the, the questioning of Stoicism. Do you think mm. Stoicism has become uh, so beloved to many that they aren't willing to even question the fundamentals of the philosophy? I definitely think when something holds out as much practical benefit for people's lives as Stoicism has seemed to do, it can, if, if not at, at some type of conscious level, acquire that type of meaning in people's lives to the point where they would, you know, feel antagonistic towards people who question it. But yes, to the point where it can feel almost like some type of, uh, you know, as, as was mentioned, a type of religious feeling. And, and that's totally understandable. I think for the same reason, you know, people within actual religious groups get defensive isn't really so much because they have this strong identification with the doctrines, but with how it impacts their lives, right? You know, if, if what they believe turned out to be false or false promise, then the type of community feeling and the feeling of salvation that they feel when they're at church or mosque or temple uh, would be somewhat undermined. And that's a huge part of people's lives. And I think the same way it would be really uh, impactful if it turned out that there was something ultimately and fundamentally wrong with the Stoic worldview, such that those practices are perhaps inconsistent and therefore you know people might feel like they're wasting their time now i don't think that's necessarily the case if there turns out to be some inconsistencies within it but i understand the sentiment for sure yeah i mean i personally feel like we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater and you know just because newton also believed in alchemy doesn't mean that gravity isn't real you know that uh I'm a big fan of cherry picking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I mean, from, you know, like, hey, if I'm coming up with 
my favorite meals. You know, I like to have a bit of sushi and fajita sauce, whatever. Like, you know, sometimes the best philosophies can actually be the merging of the best ideas from different from different disciplines and different worlds of thinking and, and thought. So uh, with that, what would you say are your favorite bits of Stoicism? Like, what, what do you think is really valuable to people today? I definitely, the, the overarching value that I think Stoicism has today is that emphasis on focusing on what's not in your control and what is, and learning to differentiate those two. And once differentiating, it, differentiating them, learning to simply focus on those things that are in your control. You know, uh, Aaron cites the Serenity Prayer in his article, and it is very popular amongst AA groups and a lot of other, you know, health, uh, mental health oriented groups. And it does seem to have really great effects and for those types of groups and for people in their everyday lives. I mean, uh, in the article that I wrote on stoicism, I was, one of my main concerns was that perhaps the reason stoicism has become so popular recently is because we tend to feel like there is so much more out of our control. I mean, as, as a, as a young guy myself, 26, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, the sentiment that why you know why should I vote? Nothing really matters anyways, or you know, kind of just this really fatalistic attitude toward things, and not in the sense that the Stoics believed you know that there, there's this fate, but fatalistic in the sense that there's just nothing I can do about anything. So why care? Why should I even try? And clearly, the Stoics didn't think this. And I think reading them and, and reading their practical uh, advice tends to give people some sense of control over those aspects of the, their lives that typically is thought not to be there. And I think that's the main value right now. But there's also a lot of other things. I mean, they do have a really beautiful view of friendship and um, how we should engage in public service and, and the community. Uh, so I think there's a lot of really great practical advice and a lot of great uh, advice in general for on the social and political side. Now, I guess it, it is interesting when you bring up the the ideas of like what's in our control, and you you say voting as an example. Um, I guess one of the issues of stoicism that I sometimes find problematic is knowing what is in our control and what isn't, because you know many people might say, okay, yeah, voting seems like something that's in your control, but a lot of places all over the world. Uh, voting is a fairly corrupt <laughs> process and that whether you people actually have any sense of control through it is, you know, up to debate and that it's really just gives people the illusion of control. Um, mm -hmm. That might be a very cynical way to look at it. But that at the other end, too, is that if people accept things that, that are out of their control, maybe they're limiting themselves and that sometimes the greatest movements and progress in history is from people taking control over their situation that others might have said were out of their control. So for example, uh, obviously in the one of the greatest thinkers and philosophers from the Stoic movement was at one time a slave. Uh, what would the world look like if every slave just accepted their status as a slave? Like, at what point was history changed by people, 
you know, encouraging the civil rights movements or, or encouraging slave rebellions or, you know, encouraging, pushing against things that were considered out of their control. Yeah, I can't, that, that is definitely, I've heard that, that line of thought against the Stoics, right? And I, I, I think it's one that I'm probably most sympathetic to that if someone like Epictetus had, had uh, or, you know, let's get more, you know, modern, I guess, someone like Nat Turner, right? Or other like slave rebellions and stuff had just kind of accepted their fate and learned to just focus on their own minds. Or, you know, if we want to go to other topics, let's say Thomas Jefferson's like, hey, you know what? The, the king, you know, King George or whatever, this is his dictum. We can't go against the guys. We just got to focus on what's in our mind. You know, how, we can, the list can go on and on. History would be quite different and probably not in a way that most of us would want to see. However, the Stoics did seem to think that there was room within their doctrine to say, you do need to serve in the public. I mean, Marcus Aurelius was an emperor and, you know, it's not, it's not like they advocated. Sorry, but I, I guess I should say, because they do advocate, Marcus Aurelius does say to retreat within the citadel of your mind and that it's in there that you find peace. But at the same time, he does seem to think that he needs to have a certain attitude when he meets with other people and have a certain disposition towards them and that certain actions are wrong and right when it comes to dealing with others. And I think in that sense, we might not lose out on the type of, you know, social impulse to, to try to change things that we can't accept any longer around us or to change those around us who are imposing inhumane you know, laws or inhumane actions on others, right? So it yeah. might not be entirely lost. <laughs> and I think also there's something to be said about different mentalities at different stages of your life. Um, you know, if you wanted to go really grand comparison, you're like, oh, look at the difference between the Odyssey and the Iliad. You know, the Iliad's all like focused on fighting and war and going forward. And then later on in life, you know, you think of the Odyssey going home and focusing on your personal life and the we should evolve our thinking in our lives. You know, we, we should constantly be growing and changing and that there's going to be different types of thinking at, at, at different stages. And I, another like cliche is, you know, if you're a conservative when you're young, you have no heart. And if you're a liberal when you're old, you have no brain kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you naturally focus on different things in your life. And so I wonder if stoicism is a philosophy that works a lot better when you're older and that when you're younger the idea of pushing against everything and rebelling against the status quo and not accepting things trying to actively change them is sort of a natural biological impulse even and that when you're older you start to look inwards and find peace with what you have and you know that there's different stages in your life to do different types of philosophy yeah i've actually been kind of surprised by how many people my age that i know do feel kind of infatuated with stoicism uh because i think you're right intuitively it seems like the older someone gets the more that type of philosophy would appeal to them i know for instance that my my dad i've gotten him those books and i mean he's told me over the years that he thinks it's 
in the meditation is one of the wisest things he's ever read. And that, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of, uh, I think it's probably good if young people get into it earlier, because I, I think you're right. It's something it's, I don't think it's something that is just for old people. I think it's something that older people realize in retrospect would be better to have known when they were younger, because that type of patience with others that comes with stoic reflection, the kind of patience with yourself and acceptance, the things that are outside of your control and, you know, not beating your head against the wall, like so many, you know, of us tend to do at a, at, at a younger age, because, you know, we don't, we haven't learned all the lessons that life has to offer yet. You know, I think there's definitely that, uh, disposition there or, or some type of understanding later on like ah yes this these people are making sense here right uh whereas yeah i feel like uh, definitely i i know for sure from being within my philosophy classes someone like nietzsche really stands out right this will to power idea the uh, valuation of life you know so nietzsche was very critical of the stoics and that definitely seems to be that type of attitude seems to be at a bigger appeal to a younger crowd, whereas, yeah, I think stoicism upon reflection of, of many life lessons can seem to be at least the wiser of the options. Uh, yeah, and I suppose uh, the different types of philosophies that are appealing or relevant also change with the context of time and history and such, and where you are uh, that... yeah. Many of us right now, we're inside all day long, and there's definitely the sense of something raging beyond our control outside. It, it does have, and maybe it's a cliche comparison that many people are making, but you do feel a little bit like there's like a war going on and that, that there's so many things outside of your control, like a natural disaster or something that's happening outside, and that inside your home is, is your chance to find a bit of peace and control and focus that can counterbalance uh, hopefully the the rage of grief and tragedy that's happening outside the walls kind of thing yeah in a sense it almost feels like there's never been a better time for stoicism um you know voting and, and politics aside yeah something like a a, a a pandemic where people are quarantined inside and finding, finally finding themselves alone with themselves, you know, makes me think of one of uh, Seneca's letters. He says, I'm finally learning to become my own friend. And, and, you know, if you have that, you have everything you need. So there's definitely a lot of benefits in that regard. And I think, uh, you know, Stoicism in a sense hasn't lost its popularity. I mean, I think right now it's, it, it's, it's seen a, a resurgence, but I, I mean, also in a large sense, it's kind of just retained uh, its popularity since the Renaissance, it almost seems. I mean, Benjamin Franklin was a huge fan of, of, of Stoics. I know Cicero wasn't a Stoic, but I mean, you know, Cicero wrote a lot on the Stoics, and his advice on, on living and dying well was uh, translated and, and rewritten by Benjamin Franklin in English for, for English readers in, in America. And, you know, I can, there's other examples of this, but yeah, it's, in, in, in a sense, it's almost always been there because even in even when you don't know it's the Stoics, it's the Stoics, you know, early, <laughs> that, that's almost how it feels. You know, when, when we read uh, the advice from AA, from Alcoholics Anonymous and, and their practices, it's just pretty clear who they're pulling from. And I mean, even when you, for instance, read some of the early Christian texts, you know, if you read St. Augustine, 
or you read Boethius, right? These early medieval Christians, they're obsessed with the Stoics and they find a lot of value there. And I think for good reason. And of course, uh, many of our Christian readers will, will readily identify this, but yeah, a lot of Christ's teachings bore the mark of Stoicism, though I don't obviously think he was influenced by the Stoics. But yeah, I think what people like in those teachings is what they tend to like in Stoicism. Uh, and I think there's, like I said, a lot of value there uh, for everyday life. I, I believe you also wrote uh, about the uh, elements of Stoicism found in modern cinema with regards to Star Wars and some yeah. of the <laughs> themes therein. <laughs> Yeah, so it, uh, Star Wars is, I mean, you don't have to, you know, pull my arm to talk about Star Wars, but uh, yeah, it's amazing. And there's a lot of Stoic, just right in your face Stoicism. I mean, a lot of people have attributed it uh, to Buddhism and a lot of Eastern philosophy, which is fair too, of course. Uh, of course, there's also, there's a lot of similarities between Buddhism and Stoicism. But yeah, this uh, idea of, of not giving into uh, emotions, right, which is emphasized over and over again as being the dark side of the force, like right? giving into passion and fear and anger. That's just not the way of a Jedi. And uh, the Jedi are also not allowed to love, um, or not not that they're not allowed to love, but they're not allowed to form relationships for the same reason that someone like Seneca, Marcus Aurelius would say uh, would be dangerous, right? Because you become, you've kind of, by doing, by forming an attachment too strong in the world, you know, now created another channel for suffering and pain that's for at least in their view unnecessary so yeah there's a lot of parallels there well i think we should probably conclude with the the idea that stoicism is going to be around for the long haul uh, yeah. fortunately that it is it is amazing that this ancient philosophy is so relevant and so prevalent uh, in our modern world but that it is i personally believe always good to question every element of philosophies, even the more you care about them, the more you should question about them. So you understand them fully and, and appreciate what is very valuable and very helpful uh, in him. And so that you understand them all the better. I agree. <laughs> okay, well with that, I say thank you for listening uh, to Classical Wisdom Speaks. Again, I want to also thank our Classical Wisdom members and our readers that write in on these topics. Uh, without you, this would not be possible. So thank you again, and thank you for listening.